Over the past several weeks, we have been working our way through the book of Acts. And today we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, and I'm going to try to go through the whole chapter this morning. But because of daylight savings time, we're not going to extend it forever, okay? Because it's about now is when I'm getting hungry. And I won't talk about food either unless I do, then I will. But as you're looking up Acts chapter 12, I just want to remind you of what we talked about last week. We talked about the church in Antioch. And it, something new, something exciting was happening in Antioch. What was going on? Do you remember? Jews were no longer just telling other Jews about Jesus. Who were they telling? The Gentiles, right? They were telling the non-Jews about Jesus. And did the Gentiles convert? Did they get saved? Yes. And hundreds and hundreds of, of Gentiles got saved. And the church in Jerusalem, they heard about it. So they sent somebody up to Antioch to check on it. And what was his name? Barnabas, right? Barnabas, uh, the son of encouragement. And he went up there. He saw what was going on. And he was like, this is amazing. Guys, keep doing what you're doing. I'm going to be right back. And then Barnabas leaves. And he goes to find another guy. And what was his name? Saul. He finds Saul, and he brings him back to Antioch. And they're there. And what do they do for a whole year? They disciple the church. They grow the church. And this is an example where we see um, part of the responsibilities of the church, where church, the gathering together of the saints, is meant for discipleship. And then the actual outreach happens during the week when the discipled, right, the, the body, the church body, they go out and they just witness to their friends, their family, the, their co-workers. And that's kind of challenging, isn't it? Does it intimidate anybody here that when we go out, when we leave these walls, that it's part of our responsibility to tell others about Jesus? That can be really scary, but what happens when we do? People come to know the Lord. And such amazing things happen. And then we also learned last week there was a, a group of prophets that came up and they told the church at Antioch that there is a famine coming. So then these Gentile, uh, there, there were Jewish believers there too, but these Gentile believers, they took a special offering and they sent this money back with, with Barnabas and Saul back to Judea to give them money so that when this famine would come, that the fellow believers would, um, would have enough money to buy food so that they wouldn't starve. And isn't that amazing? Isn't that what the body of Christ is all about? When we see people in need, fellow believers in need, should we just pray for them and send them on their way? Or should we actually do something about it? We should do something about it. And our church, and we collect it once a month, we collected it last week, we have a benevolent fund. It's an above and beyond offering that goes to help out those in need. And just what a great example that we get. And this happened almost 2,000 years ago. But even though they did it 2,000 years ago, we can still apply it and we can learn from it today. 
Well, today, as we, as we skip, as we jump into the next chapter, chapter 12, we're talking about power, right? And different powers. Who here thinks they have power? Do you remember that show, uh, uh, Home Improvement? Do you remember that show, Home Improvement? What did he talk about? It was always about what, what word? Power. It didn't, matter. it didn't matter what it was. He always needed more power. And he would take these, these ridiculous things and add more power to it. And was it typically beneficial in his case? No, but it was cool, right? I mean, us men were like, yeah, man, this is what I want to do. I want to take something and just add more power. We're, we're going to be talking about that today, power, because sometimes we think we have power. Is there anybody here who thinks they have power and authority through Christ? Through Christ? How about through ourselves? Sometimes we try to do things on our own, and how does that go? Not, not very well. So we're going to learn about that today, but before we get into God's word, This morning, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you again this morning. And Lord, it's just so exciting to uh, spend time in your word today. Lord, uh, there is so much we can learn from your word. Lord, again, I just pray that we would be fully focused on you, that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. Lord, that we would be uh, just completely focused on you. Lord, and even though... um, we had an hour less of sleep last night. Lord, help us to stay awake. Um, Lord, help us to apply what you have for us. Help us to apply it to our lives. That when we leave here today, that we would be changed. That we would be closer in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name, amen. So the first power that we're going to be talking about in Acts chapter 12 is the perceived power of Herod. The perceived power of Herod. Follow along with me, if you would, verses 1 to 4. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. Wow. So we're talking about Herod here. Which Herod is this? There are a lot of Herods in the Bible. This is Herod Agrippa I. You may, you may best be acquainted with his grandfather, Herod the Great. We hear about him Christmas time. Because what is Herod the Great known for? He's known for meeting up with the wise men and saying, hey, when you find this this child, let me know. When you find this new king, let me know because I want to worship him too. Did he want to? No. And when he found out that the wise men did not go back to him, unless uh, instead they went another direction, he got upset. And so he's known for massacring several infant boys in Bethlehem. Did it just to get rid of them. 
That is sad. So we're, talking, we're not talking about that Herod. We're talking about his grandson. But he doesn't seem that much different because what does it start off with? What does he do? He kills James. He kills James. Now, who is James? You know, if you read the Gospels, James was one of the top three. The brother, remember his brother? James and John, right? John. So it's Peter, James, and John. He gets James, and he kills him, beheaded. Wow. What an, what a, what an ending to his story. We haven't heard about James. We don't hear from him a whole lot. And then we, he, he gets a half a sentence here. We don't spend a lot of time on, on James and his ending. Partially because the Bible is not about people. It's about Jesus. And that's what we need to, to focus on. Because it would be nice to know more about James, what happened, you know, in these several years between the cross and his death. We just don't know. But anyways, Herod has him killed. And then he arrests Peter. He kills James, and then he arrests Peter. Why? Because it pleases the Jews. He's like, hey, this is going to make me popular. Because the Jews did not like the Herods because they were Edomites, right? They were the enemies. And uh, they just didn't like them. So when you, as a leader, when you do something and your, your subjects like it, you have a tendency to do more of it. And that's something that leaders need to be careful because we shouldn't try to please those, those who looked up for us for leadership. We should always be trying to serve God. Herod didn't do that. And so if, you're, if you are James, right, Peter, and you're at, in this scenario who do you think has power right now? Herod. Right? You think he has power. And Herod thinks he has power because he's doing all this stuff. And he has Peter in prison, but it's during Passover week, so no killing at that point. So he's waiting till the end. Right? And then he's going to celebrate by executing Peter. The next power that we're going to be talking about is the unbelievable power of prayer. Do you pray for things? Do you believe that God is going to answer you in how you pray? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I pray thinking, God, heal, heal me or, or, or heal this person. I don't really think he's going to do it. The situation looks bad. It looks bleak. I know, I know he can do it. I know God can work miracles. So I pray. But deep down, sometimes I just don't expect him to answer how I want. But let's read about the power of prayer, starting with verse 5 of Acts chapter 12. It says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and the light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. 
and the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went into the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer, recognizing Peter's voice. In her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Wow. Isn't that just a crazy story? Peter's in prison. It's the night before his execution. And what does the church do? They pray. And they've been praying for a while, several days probably. And how are they praying? Earnestly. They are earnestly praying. They're gathering together in John Mark's mom's house to pray. What is Peter doing while the church is praying for him? He's sleeping. Peter sleeps during this time. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm in prison, shackled on both sides, and I'm going to be, I'm scheduled to be executed in the morning, am I going to be sleeping? Probably not. But not only was Peter sleeping, he was sleeping soundly. Because um, God sends an angel to liberate him, right? And an angel liberates, and the angel comes, shines a light. Peter still sleeps. Sometimes when I'm in, sometimes I go to bed before my wife, and I'm sleeping. And what she does, she she doesn't do this all the time, but when she turns the light on because she doesn't know I'm there, she doesn't know I'm sleeping, it wakes me up. And I, I, I admit I can be a little grouchy. Um, why do you do that, you know? I was sleeping. But Peter was so asleep, the light shines, he doesn't wake up. So what does the angel get, I, I say get to do? She gets to hit him, right? He gets to hit him on the side. I say, Peter, get up. W- what? I mean, I... I don't know if, I, I don't think this happened, but, you know, I can just imagine the angels drawing straws. Ooh, I want to hit Peter. I, you know what? He said some crazy things in the past. I just want to just, oh, just get him. Let me, let me. I don't know if that happened, but the Peter struck him and said, hey, get up, get dressed. 
and he does, right? And the angel not only uh, leads him out, but also past two other guards. And they get to the gate, and what happens? Does the angel unlock the gate? No. It just opens. It just opens. And throughout all of this, Peter doesn't think this is real. He thinks that this is just another vision. Until the angel leads him right down the street, maybe a block, and the angel disappears. And all of a sudden, he realizes what is going on. And he he recognizes that God has delivered him yet again. Now, if you remember, this wasn't Peter's first time in prison, was it? No, he's been in prison at least two other times that we're aware of. And every time, God has, has led him out. And maybe that's what Peter was thinking. Maybe that's why he was sleeping. Because, you know, he knew that he wasn't going to die the next day because Jesus had told him that he was going to die by crucifixion. So his, his faith and trust... And we talked about this a, a couple of weeks ago, just how Peter has been transformed through the gospel. Peter, we, we read Peter being one way as we read through the gospels. But then after the resurrection, he continues to grow. And isn't that encouraging to us? Because if somebody like Peter could grow, even after having spent three years with Jesus, we too can grow. And just because we have failed in the past doesn't mean that we will continue to fail in the future. But Peter recognizes that a miracle has taken place. And what does he do? He goes to a house. He, apparently, he knows that there's this, this prayer meeting is happening. And he goes there. What does he do? He knocks on the door. And Rhoda, the servant girl, she, she hears the knocking, and she goes. And maybe she was saying, well, who is it? And Peter talks. She doesn't see him, but she hears his voice, and she knows his voice. And she runs back and dis- disrupts the church who is earnestly praying. And what does she say? She says, Peter's outside. And the church celebrates and says, yes, our prayer works. Let's go get them. Is that what they do? No. They refuse. The, the church refuses to believe Rhoda. And what do they say? No, you're mistaken. What, what's the wording here? I think, it's, I think it's great. You are out of your mind. You are crazy. I know we've been spending days praying for Peter, but you're crazy if you think that he's here. It's ridiculous. Now, we know that they were praying for Peter, but we don't know how they were praying for Peter. Maybe they weren't praying for his release. Maybe they were discouraged because James had died, and so they thought, well, Peter's next. But let's just pray that he's comfortable in prison. Let's just pray that his death is painless. And so we don't know exactly what they were praying for, but we do know that when Peter showed up, they were like, nope, it's impossible. 
and they're arguing, they're arguing with, with Rhoda. And she's saying, no, it's him. So they go from, you're crazy, to saying what? Oh, maybe it's his angel. Now, I think that's crazy. Oh, his angel is, is knocking at the door. They would rather believe that than the fact that Peter is free. Are we ever like that? See, I think so. I think sometimes we pray for something. God answers, and we just can't believe it. It's impossible. There is no way that God would answer answer our prayers like that. But prayer is powerful. And we as a church, we need to be praying. We have a a prayer group. We have a prayer meeting on Tuesday mornings at 8. If you're available, come join us. As As we pray for our church, as we pray for our leaders, as we pray for, for people in need. Now, you don't have to come to that because not everybody can, but you can pray at home. Do you have to be at a certain spot to pray? No. You can pray wherever you're at. Here's something that blew my mind as a, as a teenager, as a 16-year-old. Do you have to close your eyes to pray? I, it was so ingrained in me, I thought you had to close your eyes to pray. Because my teachers always said, close your eyes to pray. Well, there was a problem with that. Because when I was 16, I was in a, a, a new car, well, new to me. And I was trying to figure out how the power of windows worked while I was driving. How dangerous is that? I looked up, and I'm halfway across on, on the road. I was taking my half out of the middle. And I swerved, and I overcorrected. I ended up in the ditch. No damage. I was able to get out. But I was shaking on the way home. And then I had a dilemma. I wanted to pray, but I'm also driving. Well, now what do I do? Do I have to pull over to pray? Or can I actually pray while driving with my eyes open? Yeah, so you can pray in in different body positions. You can pray with your eyes open or closed. The reason, you know, when I worked with children, the reason we asked children specifically to close your eyes is to help to keep you from being distracted. So it's a good habit, but it's not mandatory. But prayer is so important. And is prayer something I think the church as a whole, not this church, but churches in general lack? We try to do things on our own strength. I was impressed. Honestly, I I was impressed, and I wasn't going to mention this, but I started, so here it goes. Yesterday, when, when the youth went to the nursing home, somebody asked me, hey, should we start off with prayer? I'm like, oh, I, I don't, you know, inwardly I'm thinking, I don't know. I'm talking about prayer tomorrow, but, you know, I don't know if we should pray today. And I was like, you know what? What's the worst that can happen? They'll kick us out. But prayer, and we started with prayer. And we were j- just, just talked to the, the youth leaders who were there. Absolutely amazed with our youth and how they worked with those in the, in the nursing home and how they were so selfless. It, it was just, I still get emotional over it. It was just so amazing to see that. They, they put us to shame sometimes because so many times we're so self-focused. We care about ourselves to, to actually help somebody else in need. 
But when we try to do things on our own strength, our own power, we're going to struggle. If, those, if that church tried to do a jailbreak and invade, right, overtake the jail to get Peter out, would they have had the same effect? It would have been disastrous. But here we see through prayer, God answered their prayer. And Peter shows up. The church refuses, but then Peter declares. He tells them, hey, this is what happened. He tells them everything. And he says, hey, tell these things to James, not the James who, who uh, passed away, right, who, who died, who was um, martyred, but the other James. And then this is also interesting. Then he departed and went to another place. Nobody knows where that place was. But we don't hear much from Peter at this point. Peter, who, who's played a very major, important role in the book of Acts, he kind of disappears. Now, we, again, we don't know exactly where he went from here, but we do know that God still used him. And church history says that him and his wife ministered together, and they served the Lord. So we have here, we have the perceived power of Herod, the unbelievable power of prayer. And then we have the genuine power of God. The genuine power of God. Please follow with me as we read, uh, start with verse 18. Now when day came, right, the morning, there was no little disturbance, I, I love that wording, no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace, because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied, and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. Wow. Wow. If you didn't read ahead and you've never heard this story, did you see that coming? At the beginning of our chapter, who has power? Herod. He's, he's um, hurting the church. The Jews are loving it, and he is just on top of the world. But we read here that Herod is really powerless. How is he powerless? He can't even keep Peter in prison. People have tried it. He wakes up in the morning. He's probably thinking, oh, today's a good day for a beheading. Oh. And then he goes, and, and the soldiers, they wake up. I, I can just imagine being one of the soldiers, right? Chained to Peter, waking up. There's no prisoner. You wake up the other guard. Hey, 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 what happened to Peter? I don't know. Well, let's go ask the, the other guards. And they go, where's Peter? What, what do you mean? I thought you had him. He didn't, he didn't come by here. And they're talking. They're panicking. The wording here, 
is hilarious, I think. There was no little disturbance among the soldiers. They were panicky. They were freaking out what happened. And Herod, he searches. He can't find Peter. He questions the guards. And they all say, we don't know. We don't know what happened. So what does Herod do? He has them killed. But then he leaves. He leaves town. He leaves the area. Maybe because he's embarrassed. Because all this power that he thought he had in, in, in relation to God, it was nothing. And then further on, right, we see that Herod was, uh, was praised. Right? He is praised. Tyre and Sidon, they worshipped Herod. Oh, the voice of a God and, and not of a man. Why would they do that? Did you catch it? Why would they say such things to Herod? It's because they depended on the king's country for food. Isn't it amazing how we can butter somebody up, praise somebody if we need something from them? I think, this is me, but I, I, I see it happening where Christians and, and churches, we give in because somebody higher up, right, who we think we need, demands something of us. And so we know it's wrong, but we still give in because we need either money from them or we need support from them. I mean, how many of us, right, with jobs, we cater to our bosses when they ask us to do something that may go against God's word, but we do it because of fear. We need that money. We need that job because we need that food. We, we need to keep our house. We have these bills that we need to pay. So we can look at Tyre and Sidon here and just, I can't believe they did that. I can't believe they would do that. But if you depended on somebody for food, do you think you might give in a little? Do you think you would be tempted to give in a little to get food? Yeah. But Tyre and Sidon, if they depended on God instead, do you think God would have provided for them? Yes. I think so. Just like us. Sometimes we need to stand up for truth. Even though it's scary, even though it, it may mean being cut off from some benefit of one thing or another. Because we as believers, should we fear man? Should we fear mankind? No, we should fear God. Because it may look like it may seem that man has power, but in reality, they're powerless in comparison to God. And we see that because what happens to Herod, right? Herod hears this, and he's proud. And he doesn't give God the glory. And what happens to him? He dies. And how does he die? He gets eaten by worms. Okay, out of the many ways that you can die... Is worms on the top of your list? Man, I really want to die. 
I, I really want to be eaten by worms. I just think that would be an amazing way to go. Anybody here want to want to go that way? No, no takers. I I wouldn't either. But just when we think that we are better than those around us, God shows us right that He's in charge. He's in charge. And I need to remember that because I, I look around and I see some great things happening here at Moreland, which I think you are seeing too, just with what is going on and just the ministry that's happening. And it's easy for me to say, well, you know, it's, it's me. It's my ideas. It's, it's my leadership. It's this or that. But it's not. I mean, I still don't think I know what I'm doing. Every, every day, I'm, I'm praying, and God, please guide and direct me. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to be talking about next week. I start Monday morning. God, please guide and direct me. And it's crazy how time after time I read through a passage, and I'm like, I, I got nothing. I don't know how this is going to work out. But I keep studying and, and, and keep praying, and all of a sudden, it just all comes together. And I don't know how it is. And I even, I even rehearse a couple times. And I rehearse, okay, I got it down. And then Sunday morning happens, and guess what? I don't think I say half of what I thought I was going to say. And I end up saying things that I never even thought of saying. Because if anything good is said from up here, it's not me. It isn't. It's God. And I get humbled when I, when I see how God is using me. Because I know me. And I know that I am not a perfect person by any means. I struggle. I am a sinner. But yet, the fact that God can use me in such a way is simply amazing. And if God can use me, he can use you as well. That's amazing, isn't it? That God can use you. It doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, if you're young or you're old. God can use you. If you're filled with the Spirit, and how do we get filled with the Spirit? By spending time in His Word and spending time praying. And what happens? Because God's power is genuine, is that God's Word increases. Verse 24 again, but the word of God increased and what? Multiplied. When we put our faith and our trust in ourselves, God's word doesn't grow. But when we put our faith and trust in him, guess what? Amazing things happen. God answers our prayers that maybe even we don't think he's going to answer. And he'll answer in a way that we don't even see, that we don't even expect. But we need to focus on him and not be scared with the world. Like, what if the government says, if you keep preaching about God, we're going to close your doors. We're going to take your land. What do we do? Do we say, well, okay, let's just kind of keep low-keyed. We'll, we'll have the, the secret church meeting so the government doesn't find out because we don't want to get shut down. Or do we say, you know what? Our God is bigger and stronger. And if that means we get arrested, so be it. 
How scary is that? If that were to happen, if our country gets to a place that says you need to stop worshiping God or we're going to arrest you, how many of us would still come to church that following Sunday, trusting that God is in control of everything? And it doesn't matter if we're like James and we get beheaded or if we're like Peter and we get set free. We need to fear God, worship God, honor God, and not be afraid of man. Let's pray.